You're listening to IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Disabled. Welcome to the reading of the Council Bluffs Daily Nonperial for Thursday, February 23rd, 2023. I'm Sydney Skemp from Drake University, and here is our first story. Lewis Central ratifies agreement with LCEA and accepts new scoreboard bid. The Lewis Central Community School District Board of Education ratified a collective bargaining agreement with the Lewis Central Education Association Monday that will provide a total increase of 2.68 for the 2023-2024 to to school year. The agreement provides for a $1,700 flat raise for all steps and lateral movement due to the class advancement, according to board materials. It does not include movement on steps, and the base will remain the same. The administration's representatives met with the Teachers Association on January 11th and tentatively agreed to the $1,700 raise. This was within what we were willing to offer to them as well, said Andrea Reyes, business manager. They are allowed lateral movement for education, but there is not movement for steps. Association members subsequently approved the proposal with a 93% in favor, she said. With the state approving a 3% increase for our funding, this settlement allows us to cover insurance increase, estimating up to 20%, and give our classified staff in most need a nice raise, board material stated. The board also approved a revised bid of $568,070 on a new outdoor scoreboard. The bid came from Digital Scoreboards, the company that submitted the original bid of $658,000, according to Superintendent Brent Hosing. When the board denied it last time, I did not have a conversation with them. I did have a conversation with them and said, you're welcome to rebid. This is kind of what they consider their best and final. They're the only ScoreVision supplier for our area. Hosing recommended the board accept the bid. So, slightly above the budgeted amount of $550,000, but I'm sure if we were to wait another year, it was only going to raise in cost, he said. Iowa Western Community College will pay 20%, and the Booster Club will reimburse the district for the rest over a period of years, Hosing said. The Booster Club makes about $89,000 per year selling ads for the indoor scoreboard, and he expects they will make a similar amount from ads on the football scoreboard as well. The kids are the ones who put together the ads, put together the content for those ads, Hosing said. Fremont Mills School. A student is arrested after allegedly threatening to shoot people at school. A juvenile is in custody following an alleged threat to students and faculty at Fremont Mills School, according to a press release from the Fremont County Sheriff's Office. Parents and students began calling the Sheriff's Office on February 21 at around 8.30 p.m. and media by a student and reported a threat made via social media by a student about bringing a gun to school and shooting multiple people. Deputy Andrew Wake told the the Daily Non-Perial, Deputies invested the threat Tuesday night and found it to be credible, though no weapons were recovered, according to Wake. The 12-year-old student was placed under arrest and charged with making a terrorist threat. The student was taken to Southwest Iowa Juvenile Detention Center to await further court proceedings. Ash Wednesday in Council Bluffs. 
The Reverend Chuck Kodas, above, right, administered ashes to the foreheads of worshippers during the Ash Wednesday noon mass at St. Peter's Catholic Church on February 22, 2023. Wednesday marked the first day of Lent, during which Christians practice abstinence prior to Easter Sunday on April 9th. On the right, it shows churchgoers wearing ashes on their foreheads during the Ash Wednesday noon mass at St. Peter's Catholic Church on February 22, 2023. Many area churches will be kicking off the Lenten fish fry season this Friday. St. Peter's puts its own spin on the tradition and will be hosting its annual shrimp boil twice this season on March 3rd and March 24th. Check nonperialonline.com in the Friday print edition for the 2023 Southwest Iowa fish fry list. Gun safety instructions for students finds bipartisan support. Des Moines. Students would be taught gun safety in Iowa schools, and it would be legal for adults to have guns in their car while in a school parking lot under separate bills that were considered by state lawmakers Tuesday. Under one proposal, Iowa K-12 students would be given age-appropriate firearm instructions as part of school's emergency operations plan. The proposal, the proposal was offered by Representative Skylar Wheeler, a Republican from Hull, who represents a rural northwest Iowa district, and Representative Akko Abdul-Samad, a Democrat who represents a portion of Des Moines. Abdul-Samad's son was killed in a shooting in 1997 at age 20. The death was ruled an accident. My baby isn't growing up. My baby was shot in the chest and killed by another young man who didn't know a thing about a gun, Abdul-Samad said Tuesday during a legislative hearing on the proposal. So this is reality that we're facing. Abdul Samad said that real reality is that guns are in people's homes. They are being brought into schools and they are being found in public places. Because of that reality, Iowa children should be taught what to do when they discover a gun, he said. We also have to provide a vehicle so that those children who see a gun know what to do. And the best way to do that is to help educate our babies, Abdul Samad said. Under the proposal, students would be allowed to opt out of the instruction. The proposed legislation, House File 73, advanced and is now eligible con by, for consideration by the full House Education Committee. Abdul Samad said House lawmakers have not yet discussed the proposal with lawmakers in the Senate. This is a great step for our kiddos, said Representative Henry Stone, a Republican from Forest City and member of the legislative panel and advanced the bill Tuesday, allowing guns in cars belonging to adults. Meanwhile, under a separate bill that also advanced Tuesday, adults would be allowed to have a gun in the car while on the grounds of school, universities, correction facilities, and casinos. That proposed House Study Bill 173 did not have bipartisan support. It advanced only with the support of Republicans and is now eligible for consideration by the full House Public Safety Committee. Representative Brian Meyer, a Democrat from Des Moines, said he opposed the bill and considers it a property rights issue. He argued schools, correction facilities, and casinos should be allowed to regulate whether guns are permitted on their premises. Representative Phil Thompson, a Republican from Jefferson, who chairs the House Public Safety Committee, argued that property rights also apply to drivers. Individual property rights matter as well, he said. Representative Steve Holt, a Republican from Denison, said the bill attempts to balance the rights of schools and jails with individuals' rights. I understand the conflict with the rights of business owners to control what they go what goes on in their parking lot. I actually get that argument. I do, 
Holt said. We also have the rights of the law-abiding citizens who own that vehicle to think about as well. PACE enjoyed its first real strong year in 2022. Envisions even more arts and culture events. When Potawatomi Arts, Culture, and Entertainment opened its new home to the public in February 20th, in February 2020, in February 2020, the organization's leadership had no way of knowing that they would have to close its doors a mere three weeks later due to the COVID-19 pandemic. The Hoff Family Arts and Culture Center would be open to visitors on and off for the next couple of years, hosting a more limited number of events than PACE had originally envisioned, and in different ways than the organization had planned. We originally thought that the main stage, the theater, and the ballet and the orchestra would be the main driver of people into the building. And the orchestra would be the main driver of people into the building. But COVID caused us to rethink about all the other things we could be doing for the community, PACE CEO Dana Kem said in an interview with the Daily Nonperial. We had to quickly shift from the thought process of, oh my gosh, we're going to have this big building, we're going to have tons of programming here physically, and we had to become creative in a way to be able to still provide arts and culture programming for our community, but do it in a safe manner. PACE held classes online and provided content through its YouTube channel, including a Writers and Artistic Artists Speaker series and performances by the Canesville Symphony Orchestra. But it wasn't until early 2022 that PACE really began to fully promote its promise as a destination, Kem said. Nearly 57,000 people visited the Hoff Center in 2022, mostly people from Iowa and Nebraska, but there were visitors from as far as California and Florida as well. PACE had given itself goals for the number of classes it would provide last year. For example, PACE had goals of 12 adult classes and 42 children's classes. Due to interest, the Hoff Center ended up hosting 22 classes for adults and a whopping 145 classes for kids. The Chanticleer Theater presented five shows last year, and the Canesville Symphony Orchestra performed three shows, the last two of which sold out. We have been, we've had a waiting list of people trying to get into the shows, Kem said, and so, to me, that shows that not only are they gaining momentum, but they are gaining a following. And then in the center, we have a photo of Vega Jeffy, who's four, and she's looking at pieces of art by an artist, James Hackbart, inside the Anne and John P. Nelson Gallery during a community open house at the Hoff Family Arts and Culture Center on Saturday, February 29th, 2020. Continuing... Upcoming events at the Hoff Center include the musical Into the Woods in March at the Chanticleer Theater and the Canesville Symphony Orchestra will be teaming up with a local Pink Floyd tribute band to perform the entirety of The Wall in April. For more information about PACE and a full calendar of events, visit paceartsiowa.org. We have another photo, um, an instructor, John Nelth, standing at the right helps a child, Addison Driscoll, left, seven, Natalie Crawford, right, eight, and other kids peel blanched nuts as they make no-bake almond gingerbread cookies, a recipe from the Renaissance era. During Pace's July summer arts camp, Renaissance Masters in Art and Culinary at the Hoff... July summer arts camp, Renaissance Master in Art and Culinary 
at the Hoff Family Arts and Culture Center on Thursday, July 14, 2022, campers learned about the history of Renaissance masters, created their own artwork in the style of these legendary artists, and made healthy historical culinary creations. The kids got to learn with their hands while creating and working with different materials and techniques. And their works were presented to family and friends in a gallery at the end of the week. And then face of the day, we have Dr. Corey Misunas. Midlands Humane Society is grateful for its army of volunteers that help care for the shelter animals on a daily basis. While many volunteers help with dog walking or cat care, a few volunteers help in a more specialized capacity. One such volunteer is veterinarian Dr. Corey Misunas. Masunis graduated from Iowa State University Veterinarian School in 2022. He also participated in the 2 plus 2 program offered through the University of Nebraska-Lincoln Professional Program in Veterinary Medicine. Masunis first obtained a bachelor degree in community and regional planning from Iowa State in 2008. He served multiple Iowa communities during hazard mitigation writing, for a few years before becoming the first full-time grant writer for the Omaha Police Department. During that time, Masunis volunteered at the Nebraska Humane Society in the Animal Medicine Department. It was there he developed a passion for vol- It was there he developed a passion for veterinary medicine and decided to go back to school to become a veterinarian. After another 8 years of advanced education, he achieved his goal and is now working in emergency medicine in the Omaha metro area. Masunas now volunteers with Midlands Humane Society as additional veterinary support. His assistance has powered, has proved invaluable, especially with his interest and experience working with exotic pets. In other shelter news, Midlands and Leadership Council Bluffs are teaming up to host Discs for Dogs, a disc golf ter- fundraiser tournament to benefit the shelter at Iowa Western Community College on May 6. The tournament begins at 9 a.m. and will take place at the Treasure Cove Disc Golf Course on campus. The fun and fundraising will continue the next weekends as Midland's annual ga- gala will take place at the Mid-America Center on May 12. Registration and other information for both events can be found on Midland's website. More information about fostering, volunteering, and donation opportunities can be found at MidlandsHumaneSociety.org or by calling 712-396-2270. Like their Facebook page to keep up with the daily shelter news. The shelter can also be found at at MidlandsHumane on Twitter and at MidlandsHumaneSociety on Instagram. Cities could lose traffic camera funds. Cities and counties would lose authority to set up traffic cameras and collect revenue under a pair of bills lawmakers advanced on Wednesday. One bill would require local governments to receive approval from the State Department of Transportation before placing a traffic camera on an interstate or a state highway. Local governments could only put traffic cameras in high-crash or high-risk locations and would have to exhaust all other traffic enforcement options before putting up an enforcement camera. The bill, House Study Bill 161, mirrors regulations set by the DOT before those rules were struck down by the state Supreme Court in 2018, which found the department could not regulate city traffic cameras. 
They have been several, there have been several attempts since then to rein in the use of the devices, which some lawmakers see as an infringement of privacy and argue cities are abusing the system to bring in revenue. We do believe some kind of statewide regulatory framework is necessary, said Representative Phil Thompson of Boone, who chairs the Public Safety Committee. This is essentially just codifying what the DOT tried to do in 2018. The bill passed the subcommittee with only Republican support. Cities and counties would also be required to submit a yearly report to the Iowa DOT on the effectiveness of the cameras, which the DOT would use to determine whether to keep them in place. Representatives for cities and law enforcement agencies argued that the bill will remove the control cities have to regulate traffic. There are at least 10 cities that have traffic cameras in place. Three cities, LeClaire, Cedar Rapids, and Des Moines, have cameras on interstate highways. If the legislature is looking to provide a regulatory framework, I think we can look work towards that. But adding state government into this would be difficult. But adding state government into this would be difficult. David Aldman, a lobbyist for the Metropolitan Coalition, told lawmakers, the Metropolitan Coalition represents Iowa's 10 largest cities. Lobbyists also said the cameras reduce crashes and keep police out of high-risk areas. Doug Stroke, a lobbyist for the city of Des Moines, said the traffic camera on Interstate 235 keep policemen from pulling drivers over in dangerous areas of the road. There's no place to be, and you're going to end up injuring and killing officers, and you're going to injure the public by trying to pull people over and enforce traffic there, he said. Traffic revenues would be would go to state fund. Another bill, House File 313, would direct the revenues gathered from traffic cameras to the state road used tax fund, a fund that pays for the state and local road improvements. Vehicle registration fees and fuel taxes are currently directed to the fund. Cities again opposed the bill, saying it would take away significant money that cities use to fund police positions and ease property taxes. What this bill is doing is removing dollars that have gone to public safety, to police, to EMS, to fire, and removing those dollars from local law enforcement, Adelman said. Larry Murphy, a lobbyist for the Iowa Police Chiefs Association in Cedar Rapids, said the city of Cedar Rapids is uses its traffic camera revenues to fund 11 police positions, which would lose that funding if the state redirects the money. The bill passed the subcommittee with only Republican support. Forecast. Cold settles in for the weekend. Cold has settled in on the high on the heels of winter storm moving across the Midwest, which was expected to yield freezing drizzle and some snowy local and some snow locally Wednesday night into Thursday morning. Today we will be partly sunny with a steady temperature around 10 degrees and wind chills as low as minus 12. Conditions will be blurry and wind gusts as high as 33 miles per hour, according to the National Weather Service. There is a small chance of snow after midnight tonight. Wind chills remain dangerous among increasing clouds with a low around 4. The area should warm up early next week. The forecast, according to the Weather Service, today, partly sunny and cold, with a steady temperature around 10 degrees. Wind chill values as low as minus 12. Blustery with a northwest wind 15 to 22 miles per hour with gusts as high as 33 miles per hour. Tonight, a 20% chance of snow after midnight. 
Increasing clouds with a low around 4. Wind chill values as low as minus 12. North wind 10 to 15 miles per hour with gusts as high as 23 miles per hour. Friday, a 30% chance of snow, mainly afternoon, mostly cloudy with a high near 23. North wind 6 to 10 miles per hour becoming east southeast in the afternoon. Friday night, partly cloudy with a low around 13. East southeast wind around 6 miles per hour becoming calm. Saturday, sunny with a high near 44. South-southwest wind 7 to 15 miles per hour with gusts as high as 21 miles per hour. Saturday night, mostly clear with a low around 25. Southwest wind 6 to 8 miles per hour. Sunday, there's a chance of rain afternoon, partly sunny with a high near 53. Southeast wind 6 to 11 miles per hour, increasing to 12 to 17 miles per hour in the afternoon. Winds could gust as high as 25 miles per hour. Sunday night, rain and possibly a thunderstorm. Mostly cloudy with a low around 39. Southeast wind 13 to 17 miles per hour becoming northwest after midnight. Winds could gust as high as 25 miles per hour. On Monday, there's a chance of rain, mostly sunny, with a high near 49. Windy with a northwest wind 17 to 26 miles per hour with gusts as high as 40 miles per hour. Monday night, we're looking at mostly clear with a low around 27, blustery with a northwest wind 17 to 27 or 22 miles per hour, increasing to 9 to 14 miles per hour after midnight. Winds could gust as high as 33 miles per hour. And then Tuesday, partly sunny with a high near 48, northwest wind 9 to 13 miles per hour, becoming southeast in the afternoon. Winds could gust as high as 20 miles per hour. You're listening to the Council Bluffs Daily Non-Perial for Thursday, February 23rd, 2023 on IRIS, the Iowa Radio Reading Information Service for the Blind and Print Handicapped in Des Moines. I'm Sydney Skemp from Drake University. IRIS volunteers love to hear from listeners. If you have any comments or questions about this or any IRIS program, please call toll-free from anywhere in Iowa at 877-404-4747. We will now be going through today's obituaries. The first one is of Catherine G. Kinkle. Catherine G. Kinkle, age 89, passed away February 21st, 2023 at Bethany Heights in Council Bluffs. Catherine was born June 27, 1933 in Omaha, Nebraska to the late Rocco and Angelina Gita and graduated from Omaha Technical High School in 1951. Catherine was united in marriage to Charles Kinkle on June 16, 1956, and they were blessed with three children, Carol, Rick, and Patty. Catherine was a longtime member of Queen of Apostles Church and is preceded in death by her parents, brothers, Louis and John Gita, and husband, Charles, on March 17, 2006. Survivors include daughter, Carol Wentingle, son, Rick, and wife, Teresa, and daughter, Patty Petit, and husband, Jim, all of Council Bluffs. Five grandchildren, Corey, Tyler, and Lauren Kinkle, Lindsay, Hannon, and husband, Chad, Jordan Petit, and wife, Caitlin, four great-grandchildren, Allison, Kellen, Colin, and Henry brother Anthony Gita and wife Patty of Omaha. 
Visitation will be Friday from 5 to 7 p.m. Funeral services will be Saturday morning at 10.30 a.m., all at Cutler O'Neill Meyer Woodring Funeral Home. Catherine will be laid to rest with husband Charles in Memorial Park Cemetery. Luncheon will follow at the Walnut Hill Reception Center. Family, family will direct memorials. American lo Americans losing key food subsidy this month by Kelsey Butler and Molly Smith from Bloomberg News. As the cost of living in the U.S. has gone up, government subsidies to help people pay for basics have disappeared one by one. Up next on the chopping block, emergency allotments of food assistance program that supports 30 million Americans in 32 states. Enhancement benefits for the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, or SNAP, will end in February meaning families and individuals will get at least $95 less per month, with some seeing cuts of $250 a month or more. Households with kids will, on average, lose out on an extra $223 each month, according to the Center on Budget and Policy Priorities, a nonpartisan research and policy institute. As of early February, New Jersey was the only state that had plans to top, top up benefits for its residents as the federal program winds down. Through SNAP, low-income families and individuals receive cash benefits loaded onto a card that can be used to buy groceries at authorized stores. The cuts will hit the cuts will hit an inflation the cuts will hit as inflation continues to send food prices in the US to new highs though there are signs that inflation has peaked. Food prices were up 10.1% in January from a year ago. Right now, people are rallying up against it, said Ellen Bollinger, SNAP Director at the Food Research and Action Center, an anti-hunger advocacy group. There's not a lot of cushion to absorb this. Americans have slowly seen pandemic-era benefits disappear over the last year and a half. A few months after expanded unemployment benefits ended, extended child tax credits went away too. Officials cut universal free school lunch last fall. Next month, families receiving benefits under the Women, Infants, and Children, or WIC, program will no longer be able to use the waivers to buy baby formula from different manufacturers. Instead of just the one their state is contracted with. All of this has hit low income Americans who rely most on government support, particularly hard just as the price of just about everything has spiked in the last year. There aren't more corners to cut, said C. Williams, a 45 year old from the Bronx, New York, whose SNAP benefits will shrink in March. The consultant and graduate students said the $260 a month she got from the program helped subsidize groceries so she could afford her medical expenses. In February, she got an automated text from her benefits administrator saying to expect less next month. She's still waiting for more details on how much less she'll get. I'm just going to eat less food, honestly, she said. A bounty of government cash helped alleviate economic inequality in the U.S. during the early years of the pandemic. 
A 2022 study found that the emergency allotments kept 4.2 million people above the poverty line in the last quarter of 2021, cutting poverty by 10%. Declines were highest for Black and Latino Americans, both populations that typically have higher rates of food insecurity. Almost 4 million children were lifted out of poverty because of monthly payments to families. As that government stimulus disappeared, poverty and food insecurity rebounded. Data from the U.S. Census Bureau showed that 11.2% of adults said they sometimes or often didn't have enough to eat in January compared to 9.8% in April and May 2020. Separate figures from the Urban Institute estimate roughly one in five U.S. adults experienced food insecurity in the middle of 2022 when inflation peaked, rebounding to the share reported during the early days of the pandemic. In 18 states, enhanced SNAP benefits already expired, offering a preview of what to, what's to come nationwide. Propel, a tech company that surveys SNAP users monthly, found that those living in states without the extra benefits were more likely to skip meals, eat less, or rely on others for food than those that still had the boost in place. A January survey of 4,100 SNAP recipients across the country found that 23% had visited a food pantry and 29% had skipped meals in the last month, both increases from December. More money spent on food leaves less for other basics which can hit children, people who are disabled, and the elderly particularly hard. It's not just their food money. Now they're going to take it out of their medicine money or their heating or their electrical bills, said Beth Shapiro, executive director of City Meals on Wheels, a nonprofit that delivers meals to elderly New Yorkers. It becomes a real health issue. We will now read from the National News section of the newspaper. Israeli forces Israeli forces kill 10 Palestinians. Video appears to show unarmed men gunning down while fleeing by the Associated Press. Jerusalem. Israeli forces on Wednesday stormed into a major Palestinian city in the occupied West Bank for a rare daylight raid triggering a fierce gun battle that killed at least 10 Palestinians and wounded scores of others. It was one of the bloodiest battles in nearly a year of fighting in the West Bank and East Jerusalem and raised the likelihood of further bloodshed. Israeli police said they were on heightened alert while the Hamas militant group in Gaza said its patience was running out. Islamic Jihad, another militant group, vowed to retaliate. The four-hour operation left a broad swath of damage in centuries-old marketplace in Nablus. Israel had, has been carrying out stepped-up raids in the West Bank since a series of deadly Palestinian attacks in Israel last spring. Israeli officials likened these operations to mowing the lawn, saying they are necessary to prevent a difficult situation from turning worse. But the raids have shown few signs of slowing the violence, and in cases like Wednesday's operation, they raised the likelihood of reprisals. The Israeli military said it entered Nablus, the West Bank's commercial center, to arrest three militants suspected in previous shooting attacks. 
The military usually conducts raids at night in what it says is a tactic meant to reduce the risk of civilian casualties. But military spokesman Lieutenant Colonel Richard Hecht said forces moved quickly over quickly after intelligence services tracked down the men in hideout. Hecht claimed Israeli forces surrounded the building and asked the men to surrender, but instead they opened fire. The influx of wounded overwhelmed the city's Naha Hospital, said Ahmed Aswad, the head nurse of the cardiology department. The 36-year-old medic said he saw many patients shot in the chest, head, and thighs. They shot to kill, he said. In a moment, he said, will haunt him. He and a colleague carefully extracted a bullet from a 61-year-old man's heart. After the chaos subsided, and they pronounced their patient dead, they calmed down enough to look at the man's face. It was his colleague's father. His colleague, Elias Ashkar, was overcome and went silent. It didn't feel like we were in reality, Oswald said. Timestamp security footage shared online appeared to show two unarmed young men running down a street. Gunshots are heard and both fall to the ground, with one one's hat flying off his head. Hecht called the video problematic and said the military was looking into it. U.S. could default on debt by early June. Report. Government won't be able to meet obligations very soon. By Fatima Hussein from the Associated Press. Washington. The U.S. could face an unprecedented default on its obligations as soon as early June if Congress does not act to lift the debt limit. A Washington think tank said said Wednesday, the Bipartisan Policy Center, which forecasts the approximate X date when the government will no longer be able to meet its financial obligations on time, said the U.S. will reach its statutory debt limit as soon as the summer or early fall of 2023. That inches up from the center's previous prediction in June 2022 that the extraordinary measures that U.S. Treasury Uses to pay the government's bills would not be exhausted before the third quarter of 2023. Previewing the data for reporters on a morning morning call, Shai Akabis, the center's director of economic policy, said the new projections reflect considerable uncertainty in our nation's current economic outlook. Policymakers have an opportunity now to inject certainty into the U.S. and global economy by beginning in earnest bipartisan negotiations around our nation's fiscal health and taking action to uphold the full faith and credit of the United States well before the X date, he said. President Joe Biden and new Republican House Speaker Kevin McCarthy met once this month to talk about the debt limit, but expectations are low for quick progress as GOP lawmakers push for steep spending cuts in exchange for a debt ceiling deal. From Iowa News. Legalized marijuana proposal unveiled by Iowa Democrats. Proposal would expunge nonviolent convictions, expand medical program. By Aaron Murphy from Lee Gazette, Des Moines Bureau. Des Moines. Marijuana would be legal for recreational use. Previous convictions for nonviolent possession charges would be removed from an individual's criminal record, and the state's medical cannabis program would be expanded under legislation introduced Tuesday by Democratic state lawmakers. The proposal is not likely to become state law anytime soon since Republican state lawmakers in leadership in Governor Kim Reynolds 
have in the past opposed any efforts to legalize marijuana in Iowa. Nationally, 21 states have legalized recreational marijuana, including Iowa neighbors Missouri and Illinois. Minnesota state lawmakers are considering legislation to legalize marijuana there. It is time, said Iowa Representative Jennifer Converse, a Windsor Heights resident and leader of the minority party House Democrats. Converse argued that legalizing marijuana would keep sales tax revenue in Iowa instead of sending it to other states. It would preserve state resources that currently go towards enforcing marijuana laws, and it would increase the quality of life for Iowans with chronic illnesses. She also noted legal recreational marijuana use is popular with the majority of Iowa voters. 54% of Iowans said they would support legalizing recreational pot in 2021. Des Moines Register Mediacom Iowa poll. It is across party lines. It is across the place where you live in the state, rural, urban, and suburban, and it is time to do this, Converse said. House Democrats' proposal would tax marijuana sales at 10%, and revenue would be split three ways, 35% to fund scholarships for Iowa college students, 32.5% for mental health services and substance abuse programs, and 32.5% to local law enforcement agencies. Imagine that kind of revenue to Iowa schools, mental health services, and local public safety, said Iowa Representative Lindsey James, a Democrat from Dubuque who introduced the proposal on, along with Converse. The state agency that currently regulates alcohol sales would oversee marijuana sales in Iowa under a Democrat's proposal. The proposal would allow Iowans convicted of misdemeanor marijuana possession without any convictions for violent crimes to request the courts to remove the possession conviction from their record. James and Converse said House Democrats examined legal marijuana programs in other states in order to glean best practices for their proposal. The Republicans who lead the House's public safety and judiciary committees said the proposal will not advance in the House where Republicans hold the agenda study majority. I have been clear in the past that I do not believe marijuana legalization is the right path for Iowa, said Representative Steve Holt, a Republican from Denison who chairs the Judiciary Committee. This is not an issue that has received much support from the Judiciary Committee in my time as chair, and I do not expect the session to be different. Iowans have expressed a very different set of priorities to me and my Republican colleagues. Added Representative Phil Thompson, a Republican from Jefferson who chairs the Public Safety Committee, I don't have any interest in moving it without broad Republican support, and I don't think we have that. The Democrats' proposal was still being drafted, they said Tuesday, and thus does not yet have a bill number. Officials said they expect the bill to be filed Wednesday. GOP bill proposes more work searches for jobless benefits by Tom Barton from Lee Gazette, Des Moines Bureau. A year after enacting stricter requirements for receiving unemployment benefits, a new Republican bill would require Iowans to conduct more job searches to get them. An Iowa Senate Workforce Subcommittee Tuesday advanced Senate Study Bill 1159. The bill would require a person applying for unemployment benefits to complete four to six job searches a week to earn benefits, 
depending on the number of job openings published by the state's workforce agency. The more jobs available, the more work searches one must complete. To maintain eligibility for unemployment benefits, Iowans now are required to complete four reemployment activities each week, three of which must include job applications according to the Iowa Workforce Department. To most people, if you're unemployed and asked to do four or five or six job searches requiring much week, that's not a big task, said Bill Sponsor and Committee Chair Senator Adrian Dickey, Republican from Packwood. Dickey said the intent is to build off last year's law and get Iowans back to work sooner. Unemployed workers in Iowa now receive 10 fewer weeks of state unemployment benefits under a new law that took effect last year. The law reduced the length of state unemployment benefits from 26 to 16 weeks, making Iowa just the fourth state within 16 weeks or fewer of state unemployment benefits. The new law also changes the requirements for taking a job that pays less than the unemployed Iowans' previous job. Republicans touted the new law as a way to encourage Iowa to take jobs sooner and to lower taxes on businesses, which are used to fund the state's unemployment trust fund. Democrats and labor groups argued argue it attacks workers who lose their job through no fault of their own and who may lack childcare or transportation to a new job. Work search requirements may be waived if the person is temporarily unemployed and expected to be recalled by a former employer within a reasonable time frame. In addition, the work search requirement is waived for state-approved workforce training. Dickey's bill, though, would remove language allowing the employer to request an extension to waive job search requirements for up to two weeks if work is not available at the conclusion of a temporary layoff due to unforeseen circumstances beyond the employer's control. The bill defines work search as applying for a job by submitting a resume or application to a potential employer, interviewing for a job, or taking a civil service or military aptitude exam. Dickey, though, said the bill likely will be amended to align with existing departmental practice for satisfying the weekly search for work requirement. At least half the work searches must be from a list of known available jobs within a 50-mile radius of the worker's home in fields in which they have experience or identified an interest. The bill requires Iowa Workforce Development to provide a list of jobs weekly. The proposal also reduces maximum weekly benefit amounts for out-of-work Iowans with three or more dependents. Currently, the more dependents a worker has increases the maximum benefits. Dickey said the measure is aimed at preventing fraud. Mike Owen, Deputy Director of Common Good Iowa, said the bill would weaken Iowa industries that have seasonal employment, including construction. Owen, too, said the work search requirements are unnecessary given the state's success getting out-of-work Iowans back to their feet and into new jobs. The percentage of Iowans collecting unemployment who exhausted their benefits dropped to 13.7% last fall, the second lowest in the nation. Unemployment insurance is one of the most important tools we have to keep a strong, resilient workforce and economy, Owen told lawmakers. So this simply adds more work for IWD 
and it makes receiving unemployment insurance benefits more difficult for people who need it. Senator Todd Taylor, Democrat from Cedar Rapids, declined to sign off on advancing the bill, echoing concerns that the bill meanlessly reduces benefits and introduces barriers. Taylor, too, noted that while the state currently lists more than 71,000 job openings, many may not not be relevant to some out-of-work Iowan skill set or be close to home. Dickey responded, we should aspire all Iowans to want all Iowans to want more than unemployment benefits. And your next job does not have to be your last job. It just has to be your next job, he said. And maybe that allows you to take a job that's not your dream job right now, but it's your next job until you find that dream job. Dickey and fellow subcommittee member Senator Don Driscoll, Republican from Williamsburg, recommended passage advancing the bill to the full Senate Workforce Committee. We will now read a couple stories from the sports section. Dugan Eyes Future, Not Reflecting on TCU by Stephen Hawkins from the Associated Press. Fort Worth, Texas. Max Dugan really hasn't had time to reflect on his career at TCU, where the four-year starting quarterback's final snap came in the national championship game. The Heisman Trophy runner-up hasn't even stopped throwing while getting ready for the NFL Combine and Draft. The beloved TCU quarterback, who has been in Southern California training since a few days after the national title game loss, was back in Fort Worth on Monday night for the presentation of the Davy O'Brien Award, whose namesake is the school's only Heisman Trophy winner. When leading the Horned Frogs to an undefeated season, and their only AP national title in 1938. It means so much to our program for TCU because we obviously understated what Davey O'Brien did for TCU, what he did for for just college football, said Dugan, the first TCU player to win the award given annually to top quarterback. There's so much pride for that he did for our program and building it up and setting a milestone for TCU programs to strive for. While Dugan and the Horned Frogs lost a lopsided national championship game to Georgia, they tied a school record with 13 wins by beating Michigan in the college football playoff semifinal Fiesta Bowl. I probably haven't even done a whole time of reflecting on what happened in this season, he said. Obviously, we're disappointed what happened at the national championship game, but that doesn't take away from the special special season that we had as a program. To be able to share that with players, coaching staff, our fans, the city of Fort Worth, and TCU, people are going to remember this season for a long time. Even though he still had another season of eligibility available after starting 43 games for TCU, Dugan decided after extending conversations with his family and coach Sonny Dykes that it was the right time to make himself available for the NFL draft. He graduated from TCU's business school in December. Dugan was the last, was the senior bowl, and now is among several draft prospects working in California with formal NFL quarterback Jordan Palmer. The NFL Combine starts next week before TCU's Pro Day at the end of March and the draft in late April. Most draft projections 
have Dugan being a late round pick on the third and final day. That doesn't bother him. You, you've just got to have one team that you know falls in love with you, that likes your game, likes you as a person, what you do on and off the field. And I think that's what really matters in my eyes, he said. I understand that I'm not one of the top guys. Four former Big 12 quarterbacks started games in the NFL playoffs this season, including both Super Bowl starters, MVP Patrick Mahomes of the champion Kansas City Chiefs and Heisman Trophy runner-up Jalen Hurts from the NFC champion Philadelphia Eagles. The others were seventh-round draft picks last year. Former Kansas State quarterback Skylar Thompson started a playoff game for Miami. Former Iowa State quarterback Brock Purdy, the last player selected in the draft, was a starter for San Francisco as the 49ers made it to the NFC title game. I've been able to compete the last couple of years with Brock, Skyler, and Jalen. To see them go have success, you see what type of league that the Big 12 is, Dugan said. I think you've seen them, whether they are your kind of picks, towards the end of the draft, they seem to have success, so it's been fun to watch them. Rams beat Dutch to earn fourth consecutive state tournament. By Austin Heinen, from the Namparel Online. For the fourth consecutive year, the Glenwood Rams girls basketball team will be heading to the state tournament. A team effort... A team effort pushed Glenwood past the Pella Dutch in Tuesday night's Class 4A Region 8 championship game, 65-45 in Pella. Rams coach Brian Rasmussen spoke highly of his team's defense, as no player from the Dutch scored more than nine points on the night. It was a bit different playing on the road, Rasmussen said. They were an unfamiliar opponent to us as they were the same and we were the same to them. I don't know if we are expecting everything that we put on the floor tonight, but I think we had a really good game plan and we saw some great execution by our kids, especially on the defensive end. Glenwood basketball is always about getting up and down the floor and scoring points, and tonight we were able to put up some points. Recently, we found another way to get this done, and the defensive side for us has been great. Their execution and denial of their best players getting the ball, we held their top two players to just a field goal, so I'm very happy about that. The Rams got right to business by building a nine-point lead by the end of the first quarter and built upon that lead to make it to a 13-point advantage by halftime. The Rams continued their dominance in the third quarter by boosting their lead up to 22 points, which put the game out of reach for the Dutch. Senior Jenna Hopp led the Rams as she filled the stat sheet with 30 points, 19 rebounds, 7 assists, 5 blocks, and 4 steals. Aiding the Rams as well was Danica Arnold, who posted 13 points, 6 rebounds, and 5 assists on the night. And Lauren Hughes had 14 points as she sank 4 three-pointers on the night. We got another big night from Jenna, Rasmussen said. Jenna is a stat stuffer and is just one heck of a player. But it wasn't just her. She got, she's got, she got a slew of teammates around her that she trusts, and that's when we play at a higher level. Danica also had a big night, both on offense and defense. She was able to get a lot of shots around the basket, and she did a heck of a job defending one of their best players. Nayla Namfito did a heck of a job on the def- defensive side as well.
She was a tenacious she was tenacious all night and she made a huge difference while defensive game plan tonight. Lauren was second in scoring for us and she hit some big shots from the perimeter. It was a very nice balance by the girls. The Rams will take on the tournaments on IGHSAU poll number one ranked team, Dallas Center Grimes, on Tuesday at 11.45 a.m. And that brings us to the end of today's reading of the Council Bluffs Daily Nonpareil for February 23rd. The Nonpareil can be heard each weekday at 3 p.m. Iris volunteers love to hear from listeners. If you have any comments or questions about today's broadcast, or any IRS program, please call toll-free from anywhere in Iowa at 877-404-4747. I'm Mel from Drake University in Des Moines. Thank you for listening. People's Pharmacy Health Headlines. Flu season should be winding down, but the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention are warning about a second wave of influenza peaking in the southeastern U.S. Earlier this year, tests showed that the most common strain of flu virus was H1N1. Now, however, the H3N2 strain is becoming more common. That's the strain that caused such a terrible flu season last year. Both strains are covered in this year's flu vaccine, and experts report that the flu shot reduced the number of cases that needed medical attention by 47%. There is a new oral antiviral drug this year called Zofluza. One dose is all that's necessary to shorten the duration of influenza symptoms. The first really new antidepressant recently won FDA approval for treatment-resistant depression. S-ketamine nasal spray will be sold under the brand name Spravato. Physicians and patients have been eagerly awaiting the arrival of this new type of antidepressant. They may be shocked by the price. People starting on this medication will need twice-a-week dosing for the first month. The list price is roughly $600 to $900 per dose. That means the initial month could cost as much as $6,800. After that, People will require once-weekly or twice-monthly nasal spray administration. Those costs would range from $2,300 to $3,500. At the end of a year, Spravato could end up costing $45,000. Some insurance companies may balk at that expense. For years, health experts have been telling people that exercise is critical for good health and that walking is great exercise. Dog ownership can contribute. People who walk their dogs regularly get more exercise than people without pets. A study published in JAMA Surgery highlighted a downside of this otherwise pleasant activity, however. Dog ownership has increased in the U.S. over the last decade, but so have broken bones among older people out walking their dogs. Such fractures doubled between 2004 and 2017, with the majority of broken bones in women. About half of the breaks were in arms, wrists, or fingers. The other fractures, unfortunately, were more concerning. About 17% of the broken bones were hips, a situation that can have serious negative consequences for a person's mobility.
or even survival. The scientists recommend obedience training for pets so that they don't tug at the leash suddenly and tip a person over. In addition, it makes sense to match the dog and its temperament to the strength of the owner. Week after week, the FDA has announced recalls of contaminated blood pressure drugs called angiotensin receptor blockers, or ARBs. So many lots of Valsartan, Herbisartan, and Losartan have been removed from the market that there are serious shortages. To cope with this growing problem, the FDA has expedited the review of additional ARB products. This week, the agency announced that it had approved a new generic Valsartan from Alchem Laboratories in India. The FDA reports that its evaluation of Alchem's manufacturing process does not indicate a likelihood of contamination with nitrosamine carcinogens. New technology that allows for non-invasive imaging of the retina may allow eye doctors to diagnose Alzheimer's disease. The retina is richly supplied with blood through a dense network of fine blood vessels. In Alzheimer's disease, however, this network thins and becomes more sparse. Possibly, this reflects what's happening elsewhere in the brain as well. The imaging is optical coherence tomography and geography. Researchers at the Duke Eye Center compared the retinas of 39 people with Alzheimer's disease to the retinas of 37 people with mild cognitive impairment and 133 people with healthy cognitive function. In addition to the loss of tiny blood vessels in the retina, a specific layer of the retina was thinner in people with Alzheimer's disease. These changes did not show up in people with mild cognitive impairment. This is the second time within the past few months we've heard about the possibility that optical coherence tomography and geography may offer an early diagnosis for Alzheimer's disease. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week.